I've had a really good week. Despite being down a few hundred dollars, actually 1% down for a week is not a big deal. Um, I think what happened is REITs got hit pretty hard as well as healthcare. I think Good Friday, because the stock market was closed during that day, made it so there wasn't a whole lot of chance to rebound. But we'll see what happens Monday. REITs and uh, these different ones could continue to go down. If that's the case, I think they will get to a level where people will start buying into real estate, start buying into utilities. If they drop too low, the yields will go up higher, and there'll be people that are just waiting to buy in. So that's my guess of what's happening. But regardless, I'm, I'm not too concerned about being down a few hundred bucks. In fact, it might be nice for it to go lower so people trying to buy in right now can get a better entry point. Um, I did want to give you a quick outline over today's episode because I have a lot to go over. Uh, the first thing is I'm going to be starting off, rather than jumping right into the financial sector, I'm going to be going through my favorite dividend ETFs, ex- exchange-traded funds. I'll explain what those are and then what ones I believe are the best for dividends because I haven't asked this numerous times and I was actually just asked it a few minutes ago again. So I'll go over that. The next thing I'll do is I'll go through the financial sector review and talk a little bit about that. Uh, After that, the M1 Finance team, they did this whole AMA on Reddit. Um, So you can look at this. And I'm going to be giving my reaction to a lot of the questions that were asked and the answers that they give because that's a big thing for me. The brokerage that you're seeing is M1 Finance. And uh, that's the one that I use. It's the one that I like using. So I'll be responding to their AMA, rather reacting to their AMA. Um, And then after that, I'm going to be talking a little bit about the news, actually just one item on it. I'm going to be talking about Venmo and their efforts in becoming profitable and about companies that are non-profitable for very long periods of time and my thoughts on that. And then I'm going to be answering some questions. Now, before I jump into any of that, I wanted to talk about one thing real quick first. And that is the my YouTube homepage, what's going on with the channel, what my future plans are, that type of thing. So recently, this channel got monetized, which means that I can start earning money from different means from the YouTube videos. Now, YouTube actually gives you like a few different ways of monetizing a video. They have non-skippable ads, which are those 15-second ones that you can't skip at any point. They have the overlay ads, which are like little pop-up boxes at the bottom of the screen. And then they have pre-roll ads, which happen before you see the video and all these different things. They have like these different ones at the end that advertise products on the side. Anyway, there's a lot of different ways to monetize the videos. What I did is I tried to go through after becoming monetized and pick what I think is the least obtrusive options. And so I'm not showing any of the videos that are unskippable. Um, I'm not showing any of the popover ones, which are the ones that just pop up at the bottom of your screen as you're watching. I personally think those ones are, uh, I absolutely hate them because when I'm, when I'm done watching a pre-roll ad, I want to be able to just watch it and not have this, this little pop-up ad show. And then you have to hit the tiny little X on the top, right? And if you miss it, you accidentally go to the website. So I'm not, I shouldn't have any of those on any of my videos. I don't plan on putting any of those on it. Um, really the only ones that I plan on doing are just the five second skippable ads. So after five seconds, you can skip them. It's the most basic one that YouTube has. And for like 30 or 40 minute videos, I might have a couple of them in a video. So I hope that's not too obtrusive. That's what I plan on doing. And I'll probably get better at at making a better experience for you guys. So I hope it still remains a good experience for you guys. Anyways, I'm on the YouTube homepage here. And I actually spent a little time doing a little housekeeping here. I just wanted to go through it just 20 seconds. The first thing is this 
this uh, main video here is always going to be the most recent one that I upload, the featured video up here. Underneath that is my main series. So these are just the most recent uploads from the most recent here to the oldest here. Under that is the portfolio review videos. So these are all different playlists that you can play. This one, everyone where I'm reviewing a different sector of my portfolio, like today's video, is going to be right here. Those will show up on this playlist. So you can find all of them here. Underneath that are my personal picks of what I think are probably some of the best videos I've done or the rather the most useful ones, the ones with the most jam-packed information in them. And then at the very bottom is the entire portfolio series, all the episodes in chronological order. So if you're new here, like we just got 120 subscribers in just yesterday, I got 120 subscribers. So not even the past two days, just one day. There's been a, a lot of new people. If you want to start the series from the beginning, from the origin here, just use this playlist and it'll go right through it. Um, I think there's a lot of valuable information. It's not all time-based, so you don't have to watch all of it uh, completely live when it came out. I hope you guys enjoy this. I'm going to be trying to make my YouTube page a little bit more useful. Uh, in fact, I'm thinking about clipping some of the information in some of the videos that I think is more useful and putting them into more bite-sized chunks and creating a playlist with that. But I, I'm still waiting on that. We'll see what happens. But anyways, I just wanted to mention that. Alrighty, so moving on from that, I want to go through what my favorite dividend ETFs are. I had an interesting question come up, and I'm going to throw it up on the screen. His name is Christian Barnes, and he commented saying, New subscriber here who just found your channel after watching some other videos on dividend growth investing, and your channel has quickly become my new favorite. I'm wondering what your favorite dividend growth ETFs and REIT ETFs are. I work as an attorney at a large national firm, and like most other large firms, my firm has a policy that essentially prevents us from investing in individual securities to avoid running into any insider trading issues. So unfortunately, I'm limited to ETFs, but still want to pursue this general strategy and would love to hear your thoughts on some of your favorites. Okay, so Christian, I will share some of my favorites. Now, if I look at this, this also applies, I know that he's doing this because uh, he's an attorney at a large firm. They probably do business with a lot of other businesses, and he could be in trouble for in, for trading off of privileged information that the general public doesn't have. So that's why he needs to invest in ETFs. But this isn't exclusive for people that just are prohibited from investing in individual holdings. If you like this basic idea of investing, but you don't want you don't feel comfortable with the responsibility of picking individual holdings, that's fine. You don't have to feel bad about that. ETFs are a great way for you to be confident in your investments without having to go through the trouble of picking individual holdings. I'll highlight a few that I think are good that you can look at. I'll start off with uh, VIG. This is one that always comes up when you're doing dividend growth appreciation. This one I actually don't recommend to use, at least personally. Uh, I think it's a good fund, but it just doesn't represent a high cash flow, people looking for highly profitable companies that have so much money, they don't know what to do with it, so they just share it with their shareholders. I just don't think this fund, and the, the reason why is because look at the dividend yield, 1.87%. So if I look at just the general stock market, SPY, 1.75. 1.87 to 1.75, to me that just, I mean, what's the point of investing in cash flow if you're barely above just a general the general market? So I don't recommend this one. It follows the same basic strategy, but just the amount of cash flow you're getting is too low for it to be interesting to me. Um, another one that's often mentioned is VYM. I think this is a better one than VIG. Uh, if you're trying to do this type of strategy, 
It, it looks for the same thing, but it looks for, for companies that aren't just growing their dividends, but ones that already have pretty good yields. And that's why even with 400 holdings, so it's it's highly diversified with 400 holdings, but it still has almost a 3% yield, which is pretty good, like 1.2% better than the, the general market. Now, I think there's a clear winner here, and that is SPHD. This is one that I hold, it's 80% of my Roth IRA, because it's easy, you set it, forget it, that's what's great about ETFs, I don't have to manage it at all. But look at the dividend yield on this, 3.91%. Now, this is Invesco's S&P 500 high dividend, low volatility ETF. I'll go through and I actually want to draw out how this one works. It's only 51 holdings, but I still think it's it's really good. I wanted to go through and actually draw out how it works because I think it's such a good ETF here. Now, what this one does is, like I said, it's only, it's only 51 holdings here. What they do is they go through the S&P 500, and the S&P 500 is the 500 like largest cap companies in the U.S. So you have all these different companies in this list. And what this fund does is they, they look through the entire list here and they scan through it and they find the 75 highest yielding companies. So the 75 companies with the highest dividend yield in the S&P 500. To be in the S&P 500, they're usually pretty solid companies to begin with. Then you have the 75 that are the highest yield. Then out of this group, what they do is they go through and they back test it for volatility. So if you have the companies here and their performance, and it looks like this is zigzag, they find the ones that have the most consistently straight line, not the ones that are going up and down radically. Once they organize it by the most volatile, they remove the 25 most volatile, which leaves them with the 50 highest yielding, least volatile companies in the S&P 500. And I think that's a pretty great methodology. Now, if we look at their their details of the funds here, I can go to the portfolio here. And let me go down here to all holdings. I can show you and give you an idea of how this fund is weighted. We have real estate making up the lion's share of it, which if you haven't looked at my portfolio here, real estate makes up the biggest part of it. Then after real estate, they have utilities, which again is pretty close to what mine is. And then it goes on with energy. I have a little bit lower energy and then financials, consumer staples, communication, consumer discretionary, and healthcare is the smallest amount. It's heavily weighted towards these large corporations that are that don't have a whole lot of volatility compared to the rest of the market. But this is generally what you're looking for. They haven't always grown their dividends. So if I go over here to Seeking Alpha... So if I look at their actual history of dividend payments here, they're not exactly growing it like a, a dividend growth tip company typically would, you know, if you looked at Realty Income Corp or something like that. But it's pretty consistent and it is gradually getting higher. But the, the great thing about this ETF, they pay out monthly, they pay out a high percent, and it's very consistent. If I look at the chart over one month, they just have such consistent payments. And if you're using a uh, if you're using something like M1 Finance, every single month you can reinvest that and buy another partial share of this same ETF. You're getting compounding all throughout the year, rather than if you just bought VYM, and you only get those four during the year. I like that they pay out monthly. I like that it's a four percent yield. I really like the methodology that they use of filtering through the 75 highest yield then they find the lowest volatility or the highest volatility ones they rule those out leaves you with 50 solid companies 
That's the one I would recommend if you're wanting to have a portfolio that mimics mine, but have an ETF. I really like SPHD. Anyway, moving on from that, uh, let's go into the financial sector review. Jumping into the finance pie here, it makes up 8% of my portfolio. So if I go into it, the overall yield of this with all the weightings and all the holdings and this exact assortment is about 3.6% is what you're looking at as the overall dividend yield. Now, some of them have a lot more than others. I've kind of organized it that way. Main Street Capital has a lot more than others. And I've tried to diversify, again, within this sector of finance, I've tried to diversify a lot. I have some foreign banks, Canadian ones that weren't really hurt in the 09 recession, like these American banks were. Uh, I have some of the old, more old fashioned banking systems like JP Morgan, Bank of America, Wells Fargo. I have some investment corporations where Main Street Capital Corporation, T. Rowe Price, they're both investment groups that they go out and offer financial products and do different financial investments. And then I have some like insurance companies, United Health. Aflac that do insurance. Aflac does it for the US and Japan. It's pretty diversified throughout it. You can see that some of them have been hit pretty hard, down 20% on UNH. Uh, Wells Fargo has been hit. I don't think the banking sector has been doing well overall. In fact, they just had, like the most recent news was when all the CEOs were called to Capitol Hill to testify before Congress. And it was just, uh, it was a big political show. I have one clip here. This is from C-SPAN. And this is Elizabeth Warren talking to the CEO of Wells Fargo. This is about personal responsibility. Wells Fargo cheated millions of people for years. The Federal Reserve should remove all of the current board members who served during the fake account scam. And Mr. Sloan, you say you've been making changes at Wells Fargo for 30 years, but you enabled this fake account scam, you got rich off it, and then you tried to cover it up. At best, you were incompetent. At worst, you were complicit. And either way, you should be fired. Either way, he should be fired. So telling the CEO of Wells Fargo he should be fired, maybe he should. Honestly, I don't really know. I watched some of that whole event, and it was pretty much a big political show. You had all the the Democrats, which were pretty much in a competition to see how much they could go against all the CEOs, to see how much they could fluster them. A lot of them were like running for president, and I think a lot of it is to get their soundbite in. And then you had the Republicans equally just using it as an opportunity to to tell everybody how great the economy is and how they fixed everything from 09 and so on and so forth. A lot of politics there, but I don't think it was a good look for the banks and I don't think it helped out this entire sector for the past week. For overall, this is one of the worst performing sectors I've had. It has been negative for a, a long time. Uh, it just barely became positive and it might swing back negative. I'll go through each holding real quick and give you an idea of where I stand on each of them. The first one's Main Street Capital. This makes up almost a quarter of this entire pie here. Uh, and that is a this is a, a good one for just for dividend income. So if I actually look at it, let's go to the charts here. If I go to the scoreboard here, they have a six over six percent starting yield right now. They pay monthly and they have a really consistent history. If I go to their history, click on on all on this. Look at this. Ever since about 09, they have been going up just gradually increasing as well as being completely consistent. And that's what I'm looking for. I'm not going to see a ton of capital appreciation with them, but I I look at the consistent income and I'm fine holding them for that. Yeah, see, they have like a 4.3%, 4.5 dividend growth. Pretty good, uh, beating inflation certainly. And I think it will compound over time. 
Now, they do a lot of a variety of different investments in long-term equity and debt. So that's their business strategy is they're just an investment firm and they share the profits with you through dividends. The next one is JP Morgan, which is the biggest bank in the US right now, I believe. And I think most people are familiar with them. Let's go to the charts here. They have a 2.82% dividend yield. They pay quarterly. If I go to dividend history, you can get a better idea of this. You're going to see this a lot in the U.S. banking sector where things seem to be going good until 09 when things fell apart. After the recession, they have built theirs back up aggressively. I'm holding them. If they do cut their dividends again, I'll sell them. But right now, they've been very steady. Next one after that would be Bank of America. This is a Warren Buffett holding. I think he got a pretty good deal that you get when you're worth as much as him. He was able to buy some shares not on the open market. But if we look at it, their dividends is 2% right now. Pretty low. If I actually go to the dividend history here, this shows a, a decent picture. They're just starting to pick up steam on theirs. If I look at the dividend growth here, 31%, 39%. Even though they haven't been paying dividends for all that long, like if I look at this, it's been flat for a long time. I'm pretty excited about them just because of the rate of growth. They've been growing theirs like crazy. So they're starting to pick up steam a lot. And I think it might be a good one right now to pick up before it goes up like crazy. I'm fine holding them. Again, all of these are going to be hit. The American banking sector got destroyed after 09. It's kind of a reset right here. And we're assuming that we're going to avoid the exact same problem going over. I certainly, I bought two homes after 09 and I certainly felt like I was heavily vetted before being able to purchase a home. If we have a problem like that, I don't think it will be with the housing market. We, I mean, the efforts that I had to go through to buy a home, they find out, they make sure that you're employed. They make sure that you don't have any other existing loans. They go through you pretty in depth. Let's take a look at one of the foreign banks. We have uh, Toronto Dominion Bank. I really like the Canadian banking sector. In fact, I think it's one of the only foreign holdings that I have. So if you look at it, the starting yields 3.7%, so much higher starting yield. But then I look at the dividend history here. And they have a super long and continuous dividend history. Not only do they have a great starting his, or starting yield, but they have a great dividend history as well. Now, you notice that this isn't like most American companies pay. It goes up and down. And I've noticed it's a little bit more jagged when they pay it. This is one where if one payment is lower than the previous one, I wouldn't sell them. It would have to be if they're trending back downwards. But I, I can see that they're clearly trending upwards right now. If I go to the dividend growth over time, I can look at this. Same thing, steady dividend growth, high starting yield. Uh, I think really solid companies to invest in. And T. Rowe Price, this is one that was down like crazy and recently came back up. They're an investment firm as well. They've been around for a very long time. This is a, a company that Peter Lynch just raved about in his book, One Up on Wall Street. He loves T. Rowe Price. If I go to them, their charts here, 2.87 starting yield. Let's take a look at their dividend growth. I think it's pretty darn solid. Yep. You can see since 2000, it has been continuously going up. And that's exactly what I'm looking for. Even though they're, they're, you can see the chart underneath here. So just recently they dropped a lot. I actually bought them on like the high right here, but they've been trending back upwards. I'm almost even with them again. Really what I'm looking for is this trend. This, these are the companies I want to keep, not the ones that don't keep this going. Moving on from that, let's go to the Royal Bank of Canada. Again, these Canadian banks, I think, are really solid. These are, I believe, the two biggest Canadian banks. So I just kind of split up each of them and went with each of them. They're, they're, these three holdings are all at 8%. If I go to the Royal Bank here, 
3.6% starting yield. Again, a great starting yield, low payout ratio. If I go to the dividend history here, a nice solid trend upwards. The Canadian banks are a little bit different. They Again, it's just the way that they do dividends in different countries. I think this is more common in Canada, but you see that it's the overall trend that's going upwards, and that's good enough for me. Next is Wells Fargo. This is one that I have as a lower percentage holding, and the reason why, I mean, you can see they've just had scandal after scandal, problem after problem. I know it's a Warren Buffett holding. I just don't feel comfortable putting a ton of money into it right now. You saw the video with Elizabeth Warren saying the CEO should be fired. Like, that's not good when Congresswoman is saying that the CEO of a huge corporation should be fired. I don't know if it's the best one to buy into right now. I can look at the charts of it. Let's go to Seeking Alpha here. If I go to the dividend scoreboard, they do have a higher starting yield than most of them. So they have a 3.78. Their payout ratio is really low. If I go to dividend history here, you can see that they got demolished in 09, like all the other traditional U.S. banks. They reset, and ever since then, they have been steadily going upwards. I'm fine holding them for now. Uh, I do have slight concerns about traditional banking that have tons of brick-and-mortar outlets for people to go to. I can I see a trend, at least in millennials and younger people, of using more online banks to offer those super high-yield savings accounts. But I don't think that that's a ton of Wells Fargo's business. Um, and then the last one is United Health Group. Let's take a look at that. They have a 1.62% starting yield. So I believe that's the lowest out of any of this group. That's why it's the lowest percentage for me. If I go to dividend growth here, they have a solid dividend growth though. And if you look at the history, I believe they have a solid history as well. The payout history doesn't get more solid than that. Even though they have a really low starting yield and the fact that they've dropped in capital a lot since I purchased them, I purchased them right on a high and they've dropped down quite a bit. I'm still going to hold them because I think this this rate of growth, this dividend growth of having 20% since last year is really good. So I'm actually happy to have them in the portfolio. That's the financial sector right now. I think these are all very solid dividend growth companies. I tried to rule out ones that didn't have a good track record. This sector was a little bit harder because 09 put a kink in things. It really pretty much cut out every American bank if you're going to go past 10 years and look at their dividend history past 10 years. You couldn't invest in any of them because almost all of them cut their dividends. Uh, but I think this is well diversified. I think that they offer a variety of different financial products. And so even if some of them fail, you're still going to have some of them succeed. And I try to diversify a little outside of the U.S. as well. Uh, but that's pretty much it. I didn't want to spend too too long on that. I hope that was helpful and gives you some ideas to go with. You guys can also comment and leave some of your favorite financial holdings that you do that I am leaving out in my portfolio and I might take a look at them and put them on my watch list. So moving on from that, I wanted to go through and go through the product AMA that the M1 Finance team did. This is the M1 Finance team and they went through and answered some of Reddit's questions. I have one of the questions here that got answered as well as some other ones that I think are important. And the reason I want to talk about this is because the broker that I'm using is M1 Finance. And I think it's a great broker specifically for people that are doing dividend investing. The reason why is because they offer fractional shares. And so you don't have to wait till you get so much money to buy one share of a company. I can go into my activity log here. Dividends. This $37, I didn't have to buy one share of one company or wait till I have enough money to buy one. I just bought fractional shares of four different companies with it. And the system that they have that does this makes it so you can reinvest your earnings paid out much quicker than traditional brokers or even newer ones like Robinhood. You can't reinvest into fractional shares with Robinhood. 
That makes it so that I can sit with almost no cash on my account because it's constantly being reinvested. I think that's a huge advantage for people doing dividend growth investing or any kind of dividend investing. If you're going to use M1 Finance or you are going to sign up for it, I have a link on each one of my, I have two links on each one of my videos here. The Invest Using My Pie, if you click on that one, it brings you to my portfolio as far as the actual layout of it. And then you can hit like invest in this or save to my account, whatever it may be. And doing that gives me a referral bonus for referring you. And then it gives you some money when you sign up as well. The same thing, if you don't want to, if you want to use M1 Finance, but you don't want to use my pie specifically, just hit the M1 referral link and then you and I get some money. You get to help out the channel for free that way. Do that if you're going to use M1 Finance, but let's go into the actual product AMA here. Okay. One of the things that I highlighted on my comments was notifications and dividend transparency. On notifications, I just think it would be a cool feature to have on your phone. Anything that happens in this recent activities right here, I think that you should get a notification for. And I think it would be cool if you earned a dividend right here to get a notification for that as well. Those are all things I recommended to them. They pretty much said that they're just working on other things right now, but they fully plan on doing that. The other thing was the dividend transparency. And in my question, I'll go ahead and link, by the way, I'll link this whole AMA into the description so you can go through it if you want. But the dividend transparency has been kind of an ongoing issue with not being able to see who pays dividends. If you go through here, sometimes this earned dividend number will go up, like it will go from 750 to 755. But then you're not paid anything in activities because that's when you earned it. The issue with M1 finances is you can't see who you earned it from or when it will be paid. You have no information until it ends up in this activity screen. Based off of that, I said that they should make it so it's more transparent where you get more information on who paid that dividend and when it's going to be paid. Now, somebody else shared the same concern. They said the earned dividends. I would like to see the list of companies are paying and how much. I shouldn't have to wait until the money is in my account to know which companies are paying. I think he's exactly right. We shouldn't have to wait till it shows up in the activity log to see who paid that dividend because we earned it like sometimes up to four or five weeks ago. They said, yes, enhanced dividend features are on the roadmap. We're starting with improvements to paid dividend reporting and investing activity. So they're going to be doing additions to that activity screen. And we will be doing more with the earned dividends and notifications after that. I'm really happy to hear that's on the roadmap of things that they're going to be working on. The actually this first feature of the more information on this screen here, the activity screen, they say that they're going to be doing that within the next two months. They're going to be releasing that. We'll have that to look forward as well. Other good comments on it. There's one with the concern of how to move slices from one pie to another. It's actually kind of annoying to do currently. If you have a slice and you accidentally put like, let's say you accidentally put Apple in real estate and you have your Apple holding in real estate and clearly it doesn't belong in real estate, but you want to move it without selling it. To do that, you kind of have to do this longer process of going in, doing an individual sell order on it, and then adding Apple to a different pie, and then doing an individual buy order on it for the same amount. And that's how you move a holding from one pie to another without selling it. That's kind of a, a not fun way to do it. Somebody brought that up and said that they wish there was an easier way to do that. M1 Jake, so one of the employees there said, we are aware that the process of transferring slices between pies can be annoying and do currently have plans to improve it. They're going to be doing that, and they say that they're going to be doing that after the M1 Finance Spend product comes out, which is their checking banking product. Uh, but more interesting than actually the AMA was another thread that just came up just a couple days ago. And this is somebody that had a concern about 
M1 Finance is a business with the amount of capital that they've raised. So M1 Finance is a startup broker that's only available in the US. Startup meaning they're just a newer company. They've only been around for a couple years. And somebody said, well, I'm, I'm thinking about moving a large sum of money, hundreds of thousands of dollars to M1 Finance. But he looked at the company, he wants to know who's handling his money, which is completely fine. He's doing his due diligence and research. And he found that they only have $20 million in funding, opposed to a lot of other fine tech startup brokers like M1 that have hundreds of millions of dollars in funding. So you look at Robinhood, over half a billion dollars in funding. Betterment, quarter billion. Wealthfront, 200 million. Fundrise, 55 million. Acorns, even smaller ones like Acorns, 207 million. Yield Street, 178 million. So you look at M1 Finance, 20 million. And, you know, compared to all these, that's peanuts. The interesting thing about it was Brian Barnes, who was the CEO, he's like, I think he's part owner of M1 Finance. He's the founder of it. He came in and gave this big, long, detailed response to it to try to go through some of the concerns of them not having as much funding. And he pretty much said that they don't need that much funding. They're not spending a whole lot of money on marketing right now. Like a lot of these companies, they haven't spent their money to develop their product. Rather, they've spent it to blast you with constant advertisements for their product to gain market share. And he highlighted this in one paragraph that I'll read. He says, when you look at a lot of our competitors, they've spent a fortune for short-term growth while not doing much to expand their offering. The Robos launched almost 10 years ago. And he's not going to go out and call his competitors out explicitly, but I think he's referring to like Wealthfront, Acorns, Fundrise, those type of ones. He says the robos launched almost 10 years ago as an easy way to buy a basket of six to 10 ETFs. That's exactly what Wealthfront is. 10 years and nearly a quarter billion dollars later by each firm, and there's still an easy way to buy a basket of six to 10 ETFs. They've spent money on marketing, telling how great they are rather than enhancing their offering. His focus as the owner of M1 Finance is to enhance the offering. And he says that his strategy is to make it so that us, the users, are pretty much the salesmen for it. So I think that strategy is working. The strategy of focusing on the product and letting it market itself, I think is a, a better strategy than just focusing on on putting a ton of money into marketing and trying to gain market share as fast as possible. You know, I'm, I feel like I'm somewhat advertising M1 Finance just by using it on these YouTube videos. And I'm not being paid to do that. I get some money when people sign up through the referral links, but I could, I, I think there's other applications, other brokers that I can do the same and get referral links. The reason that I use M1 Finance is I think that they have the best, the best value right now. It's free. And I think it's good for dividend growth investors. wanted to touch on that AMA. Uh, I'll, throw those two different links in the description of this video as well so you can look at those. The other thing I want to touch on is an article I came across from Wall Street Journal and it's Venmo's attempt to become profitable. So Venmo, which is owned by PayPal, has gained in market share over and over again, but they have not been able to be profitable at all, even break even. And their latest offering is going to be credit cards. My first thought was that they're entering a very crowded space. This is kind of what every company is doing right now. And the actual Wall Street Journal article had a paragraph that highlighted this. It says, Venmo is entering a crowded market as more technology companies develop credit cards. It talks about Apple. It talks about American Express offering Amazon cards, which Amazon has also already offered through Chase Bank right now. And there's just a lot of big tech companies getting into the credit card game. Now, this brought up a bigger question to me because Venmo isn't even supposed to be profitable at least another few quarters. When you invest in unprofitable companies, I think there's an inherent risk that people don't 
fully understand. The companies that I try to hold in my portfolio are highly profitable companies. The company's so profitable, they don't even know what to do with all of their profits. They make that much money, they end up doing, they say, we have too much, we're gonna return a lot of it to our shareholders. That's how profitable we are. Companies like Venmo that are still trying to turn a profit, I think have more risk than what most people give them credit for. You might make the assumption that just because a company is able to gain a ton of market share, they can just flip a switch and become profitable as soon as they want. But a lot of companies are having a tough time flipping that switch, even though they have a large market share. Now, one example of this that went completely wrong was Vine. And I have to go to the Wikipedia article of this because Vine no longer exists. It was a company that was acquired by Twitter, and it became a social phenomenon. It had tons of users at one point. grew to be a huge viral hit. And what Vine was is you could upload six-second videos and broadcast yourself that way and people would make a lot of goofy videos there's a lot of people that moved from vine to youtube they got kind of their career started on vine but it just ended up tanking and eventually everybody started leaving it the users started leaving and twitter actually just said okay we're just ending the whole project vine's just done the whole company's done even though it had 200 million users at one point i'll read i'll read one paragraph from the wikipedia page to highlight how this can happen said marketers leaving the platform were also an enormous part of the decision by Twitter to discontinue Vine. Many monetary sources began to move to longer short-term video platforms and with them followed more many popular Vine creators. Since the start of 2016, Vine's top 9,725 accounts had ceased to upload more Vines and had moved to other platforms such as YouTube, Instagram, and Snapchat. Just because they were super popular at one point, doesn't mean that they could flip a switch and become become profitable. Popularity doesn't always equate to profitable. There's other examples of this as well, but I think this is a pretty big one. I'm not insinuating at all that this is what's going to happen to Venmo. I think Venmo has a lot more longer lasting of a product, but just be wary that if you're investing in a company, I like to look for cash flow. I like to look for companies that already know how to generate a profit, not ones that just have a lot of users, but they still haven't managed how to generate a profit. Because sometimes when it comes to generating the profit, that scares away their users. Something I think worth noting there. The last thing I'll do is answer some of your questions. Alrighty, so I had a lot of good questions on the previous video. I'm going to go ahead and go through a few of them. Let me throw the first one up on the screen here. This is from someone named Brenny. He comments and says, can you explain why you always choose to sell your stocks when they cut slash decrease their dividends? That is true. So when a company I have chooses to cut or slash their dividend, I will sell that company right away. Unless there is some super special circumstance that would convince me otherwise, that's what I plan on doing. Part of the reason why is my goal for this portfolio is to create a a stream and generate a stream of ever-growing income. I have graphs like this that chart it, where I want to see money coming in more and more month over month, year over year. That's the goal of this portfolio. If companies are cutting their dividend or their income stream to me, they're not helping me achieve that goal. So that's part of the reason why. I need companies that are going to help me achieve my goal of having long, sustainable income. Now, there's other reasons besides that. I think that it's actually just a better strategy to do. So I can give you a for instance. Let's take a look at GE. In November of 2017, General Electric, which was historically a great dividend-paying stock. This will probably happen to a couple of my holdings where they go through something like this. Not all of them are going to be successful. GE had troubles. They cut their dividend. They announced that they're going to cut it from $0.24 here to $0.12. So they slashed it by 50%. And people had a choice at that point, whether to hold it or whether to sell it. I would sell it. 
And let's take a look at the charts here. If you're looking at this, if we go to the five years here, let's go to November 2017. If you sold at November 2017, the very next day, you would save yourself 48, 48.5% losses is what you would have saved if you sold right then. Now, you may say, well, they were dropping before that. But sure, they still maintain their dividend at that point. That is a, when they cut their dividend, that is a clear cue that they have long-term issues, that they cannot sustain their dividend. And I think it's just a smarter, a smarter choice to sell at that point. Even though I would have taken 40% losses, if I sold the company when they cut and slashed their dividend, I would have saved from having another 48% losses. And I guarantee you the people that chose to sell right here at $20 a share feel a lot better than what the $9 a share is now, the people that chose to hold on to it. I'm not saying that it's always going to be the de best decision. I'd rather sell that company, not look back. I have tons of holdings of highly profitable companies that have so much cash flow that they don't even know what to do with it. I'd rather take whatever money's left from that holding that cut their dividend and throw it back into one of these companies. Moving on to the next question, I have one from someone named Gray Vickery. He says, great vid, great vid. I've been keeping Disney on my watch list for a while. I was pretty bummed this past week to see that the stock shot up 13%. I should have pulled the trigger earlier. Do you think I should wait to buy in at this point considering the stock is at an all-time high? That's a tough question. I'm not, I'm not the one to go to when trying to time different holdings. That's not really my game. I'm not, I'm not here to trade in and out of companies for uh, a quick earnings, quick turnaround. I think Disney has a great long-term future. If you're going to hold that stock for the next 10 to 20 years, I think buying now is completely fine. I, f I would feel fine putting $10,000 into Disney. I think that they have a bright future ahead of them. I think that their streaming service will do really well. Um, and at the very least, even if they just stay where they are, I think that they have pretty good value right now with their parks, with their merchandise, with their production company. Uh, so they have a lot to fall back on. I think that Disney has a pretty good margin of safety, all things considered. And now they have a huge growth path ahead of them as well. I think they're fine to buy in right now, even though they've gone up 13% if you have a long enough time horizon. So the next question is someone named John. He says, you say capital growth does not matter to you, but it should. Dividends don't matter if your capital is down 25 or 50%. Also, dividends can be reduced or even canceled at a moment's notice by the company, so they are not guaranteed. Those are all true. And I, in my last video, I had the line where I said that I don't care about the capital appreciation. Now, that might come off as a little bit more flippant than it should. Like, I just don't care about that money. Of course, I'm in this portfolio to earn money. Whether that comes from capital appreciation or dividends is a whole other subject. But the goal of this portfolio is to earn money. Now, the reason that I say I don't care about capital appreciation, I would say if I was going to give an analogy, it would be like, like saying, I don't care about weight loss. What I'm going to do is focus on eating healthy and working out. With the assumption, the strong assumption, that if I eat healthy and I work out, the weight loss and the physique is going to follow it. And that's the same thing I'm doing here. I don't care about capital appreciation in the sense that it's not what I'm focusing on. Do I think capital appreciation will follow with this strategy? If I have a, a conservative, ever-growing stream of income, from high quality companies that have high cash flow, I do think that they will appreciate in capital. I'm making that assumption. But it's not dictating the whims of my portfolio. It's not what I base my buys and sells around. Like this user that asked, you know, should he buy in at 13%? I don't make too many decisions based off of that. I like to buy things at lower prices, 
But my biggest thing is, is looking for companies with long-term growth, long-term cash flow growth, and focusing on that with the assumption that capital appreciation will certainly follow if that strategy is followed. So I appreciate you, John, watching my videos and commenting. I, I hope that that makes sense, that I'm not too far off base there, where it's not the capital appreciation is not dictating the goals of my portfolio. It's not dictating my strategy. But I think if I implement this strategy, I certainly hope and I believe it's something that will certainly follow with it. So if that makes sense, that's kind of what I was that's what I was saying there when I said that I don't care about capital appreciation. Okay, so let's move on to the next comment. This is from Jer Haha. He says, your videos are awesome. Okay, I, I like the enthusiasm there. I'm glad when uh, when people can think that finance investing videos are awesome. That's a cool thing, I think. Now, he says that he's going through and watching the videos from the beginning. If you do that, you can use that playlist at the bottom of the homepage if you want to make that easy. But other than that, he says, if you don't mind me asking, why did you pick those specific bond ETFs? I am trying to find tax-free bonds to diversify my portfolio and create and trying to create income without increasing the current taxes. If I go and actually look at my bond ETFs here, these are what I have. And it's a mixture of one to three year, three to seven and seven to 10 year treasuries. And then half of it is investment grade corporate bonds. Now, this was just me trying to get some kind of stable fixed income that wouldn't follow the rest of my portfolio. I wanted this to just be something that is an anchor that makes it so that my portfolio overall is less volatile, but I still get that monthly income reinvested over and over and compounding. The reason that I chose these ones is I just wanted it, half of it to be super secure. So 10% of my portfolio, because the overall bonds is 20%, and then half of this is treasury bonds. So I want 10% of my portfolio to be ultra secure, which is treasury bonds. Those are about as secure as it gets. They yield like slightly more than a high yield savings account. But that's money I want to have on the sidelines in case I have some kind of emergency and I have to withdraw money from it. I can take it out of those treasuries. It's not going to go down too much even in a recession or that type of thing. I could also use it if the rest of my portfolio drops because of some big drop or dip. I could sell these treasuries and buy equities with them. So I have that option as well. But I like having that that 10% in ultra conservative treasuries. And I just picked a mixture, just 30% each of these. And the, the half of it, I just have one third each different uh, maturities. And then half of it, I have investment grade corporate bonds. Now, the reason that I chose investment grade rather than a lower grade bond, like a junk bond, even though if I look at these, they don't have the highest yield. So if I go to these, it has a 3.5% yield. I could go get junk bonds um, or lower grade bonds and have those yield like upwards of 5% or more. The issue I find is that when I looked at the graphs and looked at the history, the investment grade corporate bonds did not exactly trade in line with the rest of the market. Junk bonds traded in line with the rest of the market. So when all the rest of my portfolio dipped, so would junk bonds. And that's not the goal of bonds for me. Bonds are to balance out and to be an anchor to, against the rest of the higher risk equities. And I feel like investment grade corporate bonds do that. If I look at LQD and I go to the graph here, we can look at how it reacted in 2009. So if I go leading up to it, it dropped about 23%. Even the one that's a much higher yield, the investment grade corporate bonds, it still only dropped about half as much as equities did. So equities dropped about 50%. LQD, which is investment grade corporate bond ETF, that dropped 23%. And that's kind of what I want, is I want something that that's still has a high yield, pays me good income, but it's not quite as risky as the rest of my portfolio. 
I hope that makes sense. You also ask if about tax-free bonds. I haven't looked into a lot of that, so you might want to ask some other users in the comments that might know more about it, more about municipal bonds than me. I haven't done a whole lot of research on bonds, to be quite honest. I chose ones that I think are pretty standard, a standard bond mix to have in a portfolio, but I haven't done in-depth research into all the different kind of debts that you can you can purchase. I'm going to leave it there. That's all the questions for today. I hope you guys have a, a good Easter Sunday and have a good week. I'll be coming up. I have a lot of videos lined up. It's been really fun to do this, so I hope you guys are enjoying them. If you haven't already, if you're one of the 60% of the viewers I get that aren't subscribed, make sure to hit the subscribe button to see fewer, uh, future videos, and I'll talk to you guys soon. We'll see you.